Thanks for checking out this weekly Sunday message from Carrollton UMC. We pray that God will use this to speak to you and help you grow in faith. We invite you to join us this Sunday at our 10.30 a.m. one-hour service, in person at our location in Uptown New Orleans, or live online on our YouTube channel or Facebook page. To learn more about Carrollton, please visit carrolltonumc.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Gospel of Luke. It is Luke 15, verses 20 through 24. So he got up and went to his father. Now this is the story of the prodigal son. We're not doing the whole story, but but this is where we're picking up. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for his son. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, for let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you in all ways, for you are our rock and our ever-present Redeemer. Amen. Well, I I should have seen it coming a mile away, right? It's Father's Day. Something's going to happen. Now, I'm not going to read it to you this year, but most years when I preach a Father's Day sermon, I I recite to you from a piece that Tom Fitzmaurice, who's actually a fraternity. Mark Jaune is here today. He's a fraternity brother of mine. Jim Bennett was here last week. He's a fraternity brother. Mr. Food, Tom Fitzmorris, was a founding member of our fraternity out at UNO. But he would write this piece about Father's Day. He said, you know, on Father's Day, family members, they love this idea of going out to eat with dad and all that. And he says, on Father's Day, it's the one day of the year that fathers would wish people would just leave him alone. (laughs) And I am not of that mindset. I want to go out to eat. Um... But uh, in the annals of sort of like leaving well enough alone, um, I could have gone down a different path for today's message. But I said, nope, the prodigal father, the prodigal dad, that's a great idea. That's pure genius. And then I find out that I'm not the first person to think of the idea. Although my focus was a little bit unique. It was going to focus on how dads are kind of like not perfect, have certain flaws, much in the manner that the prodigal son went out and suffered greatly based upon a lot of bad judgment. Oh, but that language thing, you know, the English language, how often do we see words and we think we know what they mean and we we just don't know what they mean? For example, and this is not an English word, but it's a phrase we use, coup de gras. We use it in kind of the flowery context. Oh, the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae was the coup de gras. Now, who knows what coup de grace literally means? Cut of grace. Mercy killing. Putting your enemy out of his misery. Yikes. Okay? Or how about this one? How about that little insurance company ad that talks about college football? 
Ooh, it's going to be mayhem out there. Oh, crazy good times, that mayhem. Well, look it up. Webster's. Here's what mayhem means. Needless or willful damage or violence. Willful and permanent de deprivation of a body part resulting in impairment of a person's fighting ability. Yeah, that's it. Bodily dismemberment. Yay, team! <laughs> Yay, insurance! <laughs> Although we in Louisiana get it, right? I mean, because homeowner's insurance now costs us an arm and a leg. There's <laughs> finally some truth in advertising, though, right? But then there's the word prodigal. I should have known better. I started to dig in. I thought, well, I, don't, I tried to figure out where the word comes from. The only word came to mind for me was prodigious. Now, prodigious is one of those words that I would use in a sermon or a speech or a writing, but I would look it up first before I, I used it. And it means causing amazement or wonder, extraordinary in bulk, quality, or degree, enormous, resembling or befitting a prodigy. A prodigy. I never thought of the word prodigy when I read the word prodigal and prodigal son. I mean, the prodigal son certainly doesn't meet our conception of what a child prodigy would be, although I'll admit the scripture doesn't say whether he could play piano or win the spelling bee. Although I'm saved by Webster's Dictionary a little bit on the word prodigal. As it turns out, prodigal has, I think, been co-opted a little bit in modern speech, the, no doubt because of the prodigal son parable, and so it has at least some negative connotation. And according to Webster's, prodigal means this, characterized by profuse or wasteful expenditure, lavish, recklessly spendthrift with its less common use tending to follow the concept of being prodigious, yielding abundantly luxuriant. And all of this is to say, first, we say a lot of things and use a lot of words, and we don't know what they mean. And secondly, as a corollary, I think this is why dads tell dad jokes. Because we know we don't know the meaning of a lot of these words, and we'd like to deflect that by a little good old-natured humor. Can you fault us for that? But I think, though, in truth, the desire of most earthly fathers is indeed to be prodigious, to be prodigal, to be able to yield for our families, and to do so to the point of being a little bit over the top, like the Jeff definitions suggest. But can you blame us? Our example for this, for that type of father, is no less than God himself. The parable of the prodigal son is a parable intended by Jesus to show God's relationship with his children, his relationship with us. And the parable is about one of two sons, the younger, who takes his inheritance early, and the scripture says he squanders it in dissolute living. So some people have suggested that the parable might have been entitled the lost son. Because if you look at that chapter in, in Luke 15, Jesus is talking about all sorts of lost things. He talks about a lost coin, a lost sheep. And two times in the scripture, he refers to the son as being lost. And then the alternative, some other people say that the parable could be called the prodigal father. Yes, I know, it was my idea. And look at the actions of the father in the prodigal son's story. The father more or less pounces on his son with love, not only before the son has a chance to change his ways and evidence of change his heart, but before the son can even make his of repentance to the Father. And as it turns out, according to Jesus, not even complete 
and total contrition merits the favor of God, gets God in your corner because God's love and compassion and his favor and his grace are absolutely free to us. The prodigal nature of the father and the prodigal son reveals the nature of God. And if you need more than Luke 15 to show you the extravagance of God's grace, think about these passages from Ephesians. Paul says God's glorious grace is freely bestowed on us. He says if we, in Christ, we have redemption and freedom according to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And he says in chapter 2, in the future God will show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If Paul had written those passages of Ephesians in English, he might well have spoken of the prodigious nature of God the Father and his grace. So let me ask you this. How does all of this strike you about our God? Can you see yourself, though, as this misbehaving child and the prodigal son and then being back in the loving arms of God? Do you find yourself grateful as you think about that and you consider God's extravagant grace? Or do you hesitate a little bit? It's sometimes hard for us. For example, it's hard for folks who either in the process of parenting or being parented have been in circumstances where there has not been a, an abundance of grace or graciousness. So those persons may have less than a robust relationship with God. They don't attend church because they frankly are not ready to worship God. And, and, and truthfully, they don't really want to talk to anybody about it. Instead, in order to patch the holes in the relationship with God, we employ what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. He said, grace without discipleship, grace without accountability. Here's how Bonhoeffer describes it. He says, cheap grace, grace without cost. We say that because grace has been paid for by the death of Jesus, and everything can be had for nothing. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism, but no church discipline. Absolution of sins without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without the cross and grace without the difficult truth about what humankind did to Jesus Christ. But he says there's another kind of grace. This is what you want. He says costly grace. He says it's the hidden treasure in the field for the sake of it, to go get it, a man will sell everything he has. It's the pearl of a great price that in order to buy, the merchant will sell everything else he or she has to go get that pearl. It's the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves their net and follows Jesus. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a person must knock. I contend that we would do well if we would consistently apply that idea of that costly grace to our parent and child relationships on earth. As children, we need to continually approach our parents with respect. Don't take for granted that which your parents provided to you. And if you're here today and you're listening to this message, at a minimum, it's life on this earth. And parents and fathers, we are to be out there seeking the best and highest for our children, provide the metaphorical treasure hidden in the field 
provide the scriptural pearls in whatever forms that may come, whether it's physical assistance or emotional support or those nuggets of wisdom that we develop over time based upon years of experience. And last, but certainly not least, discipleship. Bring your kids to Jesus. In fact, I contend that if you put that first, bringing your children to Jesus, and I don't mean bringing them to church and just dropping them off, but participating in every step of their Christian development, and fathers not being afraid to do what that not-too-old bumper sticker said, when it says, real men love Jesus. If you disciple your children in the way of the Lord, most of those other highest and best things will come naturally. So dads, we're screw-ups every now and then. However, if we are first and foremost dialed into our relationship with God and are sharing that with our families, then we can truly say, if we overcook the Father's Day meal on the barbecue, it was indeed a burnt sacrifice (laughs) offered up to God. And families, it's Father's Day, so you are required to laugh. Let us pray. Lord, you've given us all parents. You've made some of us parents. Lord, you give us a means to be your children and to bring more children to you. We ask your blessing on that experience for us and on our children. Help us to live into the life that you designed for us, the plan you have for each one of us, so that, Lord, ultimately, we can all declare with full knowledge and appreciation of the fact that we are your children and that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.